Well, good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Thurl is uh, quite the good sport. There's no telling what I spring on him sometimes by forgetting a song or putting them out of order, things like that. But uh, appreciate everybody being here. Uh, this is going to be week four of our study in the Coat of Many Colors, and we have today and then two more weeks, uh, two more weeks in our series. So I hope that uh, we will see colors during the week and think back. As we've talked about, Joseph had received a coat from his father, as we read in Genesis 37, and his father had really focused a lot of his love and attention, his favoritism, on his son Joseph, which was very easily seen by all the other brothers, and that caused all sorts of stress and strife, and he gave him a coat of many colors. Most people didn't have coats back then. They would have a shawl or a tunic. They didn't have a specific coat, much less a coat with all sorts of colors in it. Colors were hard to get. So there's no telling what effort or money Jacob spent to get this coat for Joseph. He was already in a bad way with his brothers and the coat made it worse. And so with these colors in the coat, what I want us to do is to imagine, to think, wonder, to think, what if those colors were intended to teach lessons? Now the Bible doesn't say that Jacob did that, that the colors meant anything specifically with the coat given to Joseph, but I want us to look at the colors and to try to have lessons and thoughts that will come to mind from the colors. So, so far, the first week, we covered the color green. And we talked about green representing growth. Hopefully, as spring continues to slowly roll out here in Middle Tennessee, we'll see things growing. So when you see green, I would like for you to think about growth. And the growth that's important isn't necessarily the growth of grass or the growth of leaves on the trees, although we need those at some point but growth in terms of growing closer to God. And the way we do that is by studying and having more of what God wants us to be come into our lives. Then we talked about yellow. And we're seeing some yellow not only through the stained glass windows, but also from uh, sunlight itself. Sunlight typically is thought of as yellow, so we were thinking of light. And the way that we get light into our lives is to recognize that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So when we see light, when we see sunlight, I want us to think of God. And I want us to think of living the way God wants us to live and not allowing any place for darkness to be in uh, our, our souls, to be in our hearts. And always remember, you know, the person that says, I love God, but hates his brother is a liar. And the love of God, the light of God is not within him. So it shows up in our actions as well. And then last week, we noticed that the color blue, of all things, was very prominent in the construction, not only of the tabernacle, but the temple. I freely confess, I really had never noticed that. But things were covered with blue, and part of that was because blue was a terribly difficult color to get. It was a very expensive color to get, and so I think part of the reason God wanted blue in the tabernacle and the temple was to make people sacrifice when they came forward to worship God, to make it cost them something so they would know coming to God is something not to take lightly. And so we focused on blue as an idea of worship. We are worshiping here this morning together, and we're worshiping remotely with uh, Knowles. We'll see you next week uh, live and in person on Easter Sunday. But we are worshiping together when we come together, but our lives need to be worshiped each and every day. Giving our lives to God, Paul says in Romans 12, is our spiritual form of worship. 
our lives are our offering to God. And so my life is not my own if I am a member of God's family. My life belongs to God. And so each and every moment is God's time. There is no my time and there is no God time. The idea of a part-time Christian is a contradiction. You might be a part-time worker, right? Some of us have part-time jobs, but there is no part-time Christian. We're either a Christian or we're not. And so that's what we looked at with blue. So I hope if you see some blue, you've got some blue on today, let's think about worship. I see some green, let's think about growth. I see some yellow, right, in the scarf. I see some yellow, let's think about light. This morning, we're actually gonna talk about a color that, strangely enough, is not actually in this coat. This morning, the color I want us to focus on is gray. Uh, gray is just kind of a halfway color between white and dark, so we're gonna focus on gray. Gray obviously represents old age in the Bible. There's passage after passage that talks about gray in terms of older people. Leviticus 19, 32. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. There's absolutely no way to fear God, to say you love God, to fear the Lord, and not respect older people. And that's something our society needs to learn. Because everything in our society is youth-focused, right? It seems like they're ready to shift us off the pasture into the uh, the old folks farm, if you will, the moment we turn 30 or 35. Everything is so, that's so, you're so old, you don't understand anything. That's not the way it's presented here in the Bible. Psalm 71 verse 18. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me. Don't forsake me when I get older. Until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. One of the reasons why I believe we need older people and what one of the purposes as an older person that we have is to share the good news, to share the story of God, to share what God has done for us with the impatient younger generation. And again, that's been true now since David said this for 3,000 years. I suspect it would be true if God lets the world stand another 3,000 years. It also represents old age as well today. Obviously, this is a, uh, a, a mother who's got a couple of babies in a, in a nursery someplace. No, I'm just kidding. This is obviously an older woman. And you can see the refinement and uh, obvious uh, uh, circumstances for this lady. So you can have a, an older person like this, and then you can have a, a picture like this. Uh, personally, that's the way I want to be as an old person. Um, I'm going to try my best to get that expression down, but... Why on earth worry about growing up once you get to that point? I imagine that person is the hit of the house or the home or wherever he may be, the job, whatever it may be. Uh, I don't know how he uh, has managed to get his tongue where it'll come out by twisting his ears, but uh, it represents old age today as well. Baldness or greatness, right? Sometimes baldness with a little greatness uh, represents old age. Isaiah 46 3 through 4. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear, and I will carry, and I will save. God's going to carry us. God's going to look out for us. God's going to save us. God is with us from 
Notice the statement there in Isaiah 46, from before we are born. I just don't see how you get around that fact, that statement. God is saying to Jacob, I have known you from before your birth. Life and the spirit don't enter someone the moment they are born and draw in that first breath. I, I would have to say Isaiah messed up here if that's actually the circumstance that God views those who are not yet born. Carried from the womb. I have known you from there even to old age. He could easily have said, I've known you from the first breath. Right? But that's not what the statement is here in Isaiah. Old age certainly need, uh, requires honor to be given to people who are older. Proverbs 23, 22. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when you are old. We have some examples of looking after mom here with us today. We have examples of looking after fathers. We have examples of looking after people who have given so much to us over the, time, uh, the years. Life is a cycle. Younger people, if they live long enough, turn into middle-aged people. If they live long enough, turn into older people. And so just as all of us were cared for when we were squawking babies, unaware of anything going on in the world, sometimes that cycle turns completely around and the babies, the children, end up taking care of the parents. Also, very clearly, we are told in the Bible to respect older people for their wisdom. Job 12, 12, wisdom is with the aged and understanding in length of days. And that's something young people just don't buy. They don't agree with. You all don't know nothing, you know, especially grammar, apparently. You all don't know anything. It's older people through experience have gained wisdom. And there's, a, there's an important aspect and dynamic between the, the ends of the age spectrum. Without younger people not listening sometimes to older people of that'll never work, or we tried that, you wouldn't have nearly as many inventions, you wouldn't have energy poured into our society and our civilization, because older people by nature are more conservative, oh, we shouldn't try that. You know, there's a dynamic, right? But wisdom is with those who have tried and seen things fail. Wisdom can caution and provide context to younger people seeking to energize and try things. I want to focus on wisdom as really the, the important, important part of the color gray. So when you see gray this week, and gray's everywhere, when you see gray this week, I want you to focus not so much on older people, right? I mean, a magic marker can make some of us who are gray not be as gray if we really wanted to. So don't focus on gray as old. Focus on gray when you see gray, wherever it is, in a sign, uh, in a paint on a wall, whatever it is, I want you to be thinking of wisdom. So let's look at what the Bible says about wisdom. But first, Max, I've got a joke, and I want you to see what you think about it. But here's the joke. Four people were in an airplane. A pilot, a scientist, an elderly preacher, I guess that's me, and a Boy Scout. That's you. Okay? A pilot, a scientist, an elderly preacher, and a Boy Scout. The plane developed engine trouble. The pilot said, we're going to have to jump out. The problem is there's only three parachutes. That is a problem, right? There's four of us in the plane. There's only three parachutes. The pilot said, the Air Force has spent thousands, many thousands of dollars training me, so I have to live. She grabbed a parachute and jumped out. 
three left. The scientist said, I have the highest IQ here. I have four PhDs. I'm probably the smartest person in the world. So the world needs me. And he jumped out. The elderly preacher looked at the Boy Scout and said, Son, son I've lived a long life. And you have all your life ahead of you. So please, please, take the last parachute and you jump out. The Boy Scout said, no, that's not necessary. We can all live. The preacher said, how is that possible? The Boy Scout said, because the smartest man in the world just jumped out wearing my backpack. <laughs> okay. So the key is to have a backpack that looks like a parachute, apparently. Right? <laughs> Wisdom is not always with those who think they're smart. And wisdom in the world is not always the wisdom that's needed. So I want you to think about the smartest guy in the world who's going to survive with four PhDs grabbing a backpack. I guess he had plenty of time to consider different hypotheses as he was falling. <laughs> What's that? Uh, even in the ocean. From high enough up, that water's going to feel like concrete, so that's not a good future for him. All right, let's talk about the importance of wisdom. Proverbs 4, 7. Getting wisdom is the most important thing you can do. The most important thing you can do is to get wisdom. I think that's very, very true. There was a school training young Jewish men about 180 B.C., and these young men were young, and they were often very focused on, let's just say, the young ladies, right? As young men can often be. And the teacher of the school said, what you need to do is you need to pursue wisdom in the same way you might actually pursue a young lady. You need to understand that wisdom has so many important things to offer you that will benefit you your entire life. So take a lot of that energy that you might have already been spending pursuing some young woman and put a great deal of that into pursuing wisdom because that's incredibly important. Getting wisdom is the most important thing you can do. James 3.13 Are there any of you who are wise and understanding? Prove it. You are to prove it by your good life, by your good deeds performed with humility and wisdom. If you're smart, show me. What, are my, what do my actions show? Do my actions show I'm wise? Are my actions focused on me? If they are, I'm going to suggest that's not a very wise person. A wise person is seeking to serve others because that will be the, the really important part of wisdom is what we'll see. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. One of the first steps we need to, to recognize and to grasp is being aware of God's awesome power God is the creator, God is the redeemer, God is the judge, is one of the first steps in acquiring wisdom. Again, I have two options I can pursue. One of them is to go do this thing over here, which is going to make me perhaps very happy, at least for a short while, or to do this. Which one does God want me to do? Being aware of God's power and God's position ought to influence my choices. That is a beginning point of wisdom. Continuing on with Proverbs 3. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her, you see how wisdom is presented as a female presence here? I don't think that's an accident. I mean, I don't think any word in the Bible is an accident. I think it's presented as a female in part to make sure that men view that as something 
worth pursuing. A lot of guys spend a whole lot of time trying to pursue some uh, woman. Pursue wisdom with the same kind of energy. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. The person who pursues wisdom will benefit greatly their entire life. James 3.17, but the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Look at this for a moment. Wisdom overcomes sin. It's been said that wisdom allows you to see the price tag, if you will, on sin. When we make a choice, when we have an action, there's a price. Good actions are in effect free. Actions that are evil or sinful come with a price tag, and many times we can't see that price tag because we don't yet have the wisdom. Wisdom overcomes strife. Notice it's pure and then peaceable. You know, you're either a peacemaker or you're a troublemaker. What's in between? I guess, you know, maybe the person who's on the receiving end of trouble, <clears throat> if I'm taking action, I'm either seeking to make peace or I'm making trouble. Wisdom from above is peaceable, <clears throat> brings peace. Wisdom overcomes harshness. Being gentle is the way to approach anything and everything. Have you ever been around somebody that most everything that comes out of their mouth is harsh? Even when there's, there's, there's no excuse for it. I'm not gonna say that it should be harsh sometimes, but if somebody's walking out into the street and a car's coming, I'm gonna scream, it's gonna sound really harsh. Right? That's about the only time I can imagine harshness being something that's, that's going to be really acceptable and okay. There's just no reason to be harsh because you can get somebody to see your point of view by being gentle. Wisdom overcomes snobbishness, right? Open to reason, able to think through things, full of mercy. The ground is leveled at the cross. I wonder if sometimes that really should have been taught more in high school, middle school, grade school. Because one of the things that seemed so prominent in school were these cliques. You had the popular people over here. You had the athletes over here. You had the group over here that maybe was into something else. Cliques and snobbishness. All it does is marginalize people. The powerful marginalize those who perhaps don't seem as powerful. In Christian schools, in schools where we ought to be focusing on helping people help one another, Christianity says the ground is level at the cross. We're all sinners. We're all equal in the eyes of God. There is no greater than somebody else. Not at all. Wisdom overcomes shams. There's no hypocrisy. It's sincere. You know, wisdom allows you, first of all, perhaps to not fall for scams. And by being sincere, you're never going to be accused of a, a scam or a sham either. If we're honest with one another, if we are an open book, there's never an angle. Right? There's never an angle. I was watching something earlier this week and said, well, what's your angle? What a, what a horrible way to imagine the world works. There's got to be an angle with what you're telling. You must want something. If we are sincere, we can simply seek the good of someone else rather than seeking our own good. 
it's, it's kind of like the phrase from many years ago. There ought to be ways we can all get along. In closing, really, and it'll be a relatively short one today because I think this is the important part of here, there are only two paths to go through in this world. Only two paths, only two ways. Proverbs 16, 25. There's a way that seems right to a man or to a woman, but its end is the way of death. So much of our world thinks they're on the right track, think they're doing things that are proper, think that they are following after what really matters. It's going to end, I would suggest here, in death. It's not going to turn out well. Does our society really look like it's prospering? Does it really look like people love one another? Does our society in general really look kind and gentle and all these other qualities that we were just talking about? Or does it seem like so many people in our society are, have an angle, some way to try to profit on somebody else? I mean, are people really looking for me about my car's extended warranty <laughs> when I get those calls on the phone? Seems like every other call I get is somebody looking to get something out of my pocket. The end of that choice, the end of that path is the way to death. That's one choice. A lot of people are making that choice. It's not going to come out well. Proverbs 3, 7. The other path through the world is to be not wise in your own eyes. Don't think of yourself as smarter than somebody else. Don't puff yourself up. Don't use your own understanding as the basis for making decisions. Be not wise in your own eyes. Then do what though? Fear the Lord. Recognize the Lord's position. Recognize where God is and that I am a man and he is God. I am a woman. He is God. And turn away from evil. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Choosing to love God and love my neighbor is the wisest path anyone can have ever as you're living here on the earth. So when we think about gray this next week, when we think about gray, I want you to think about wisdom. If you think about old people, I think that's fine too. Maybe the, the grayish hair that you may see on somebody who's older will help you think of wisdom. Hopefully the person who has the grayish hair will be a wise person, right? I want you to think about wisdom and then ask yourself, am I following after the kind of wisdom, the kind of choices that God would have me make, or am I following a path that's going to lead me to destruction? We've got a warning sign. You know, they put a warning sign up, bridge out, slow down. There are plenty of warning signs that you may see as we're traveling around. God's got a warning sign on this road when we come to the fork. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. Turn away from evil. That's the real thing that wisdom tells us. Turn away from evil and turn your life back to God today. So if you're not yet a member of God's family, that means becoming a member of God's family, being born again, being a child of God. You do that by understanding we're all sinners some sinners are forgiven, and some are not. To become forgiven, Jesus said, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Jesus also said, I tell you, unless you repent, unless you turn around, you will die in your sins. And he's the one who said, he who believes and is baptized, immersed 
buried in water and raised up again will be saved. Why not just do what Jesus said? He's the one that said it. If you're a member of God's family, but you've been going down the fork in the road, the path where it's been for yourself, rather than the kind of wisdom God would have you hold on to and understand, there's an easy way to fix that, and that is to back up, to put it into reverse, as it were, and to pray for forgiveness from God. We're happy to do that for you here this morning. Please choose wisely. If we can help you in any way, please come as we're standing.